and welcome to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast from right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week and the occasional special announcement or series. You can visit vineyardchurch.us and select Springbrook from the menu to learn more about us or to access our audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. For centuries, the church has celebrated the season of Advent by lighting candles that symbolize some of the things most important to us as followers of Jesus. Today, we light the first candle of Advent, the candle of hope. This candle acts as a physical reminder of our hope and expectation in this season. We put our hope in the one to come, the promised one who comes from God to bring good news of salvation. We hope in the one who will lead us to walk in the light of the Lord. On this day, we remember to hopefully look for the coming of Christ. Our reading today comes from Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 9. Oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down, how the mountains would quake in your presence. As fire causes wood to burn and water to boil, your coming would make the nations tremble. Then your enemies would learn the reason for your fame. When you came down long ago, you did awesome deeds beyond our highest expectations. And oh, how the mountains quaked. For since the world began, no ear has heard and no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. You welcome those who gladly do good, who follow godly ways, but you've been very angry with us, for we are not godly. We are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? We're all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Yet no one calls on your name or pleads with you for mercy. Therefore, you have turned away from us and turned us over to our sins. And yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you're the potter. We are all by your hand. Don't be so angry with us, Lord. Please don't remember our sins forever. Look at us, we pray. See that we are all your people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Draw near to us, O God. We choose in this moment to focus our attention on hope, the hope of Jesus Christ and what is coming represents for suffering people, to focus on the hope for restoration of all that is broken in the world, the hope of new life and resurrection. Hope is the light we wish to see by as we wait in hope for the Lord. In Christ, all things are made new. We look forward to the day our hope is fulfilled, each heart reconciled, the work of Christ completed in all the earth. Our hope is in Christ Jesus, the Messiah. Amen. Amen. Thanks, y'all. Yay, webs. Webs forever. You're the best. Um, uh, I want to uh, do just a couple of more things that we have going on. It's a busy season, and it, it definitely is around here. Um, one is that we have stories and songs this afternoon at 4 o'clock. Uh, we're, 
so excited about this. It's, um, it really is exactly what it says. We're going to read the stories of the birth of Christ, and we are going to sing songs. Uh, St. Brendan's Anglicans are going to come over and hang out with us. Um, and we have a living nativity by our children, which will be bonkers. And that is what I feel like probably the birth of Jesus actually was. So um, we'd love for you to come. Four o'clock, uh, there will be snacks. So... You must come. Um, the next thing is uh, we do something uh, every single year here at the Vineyard called Must Have Gifts. There is a card in your chair. We filled your chair uh, with cards this week. Um, and here's what Must Have Gifts is. Essentially what we do, um, and we do this alongside our Maryville location. There are things that we do that we just feel like when we um, are better together, we do them together. And so this is one of those things. Um, and it's essentially our way of um, kind of pushing back against what the world tells us are like the must-haves for the season. Um, you know, like those Ugg slippers that some of you asked for for Christmas. Like, we're kind of, I mean, you can get those, but also, um, we, we want to kind of push back against that and say, okay, what are must-haves in our area, in our region, all over the world uh, that we want to get behind as a church and pour our money and resources into in order to make happen? So that's what our must-have gifts are. We have three every single year. They're always great and they're always exciting, but I love, 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 love these. Um, and so you can find them on the back. There are descriptions of each gift and the amount of money that we are trying to raise to go toward these gifts. So um, the first is a van for Freedom House. Freedom House is uh, an, an orphanage that we are associated with in Haiti that we love and support. And these kids have been going to school uh, every day in the back of a truck. And if you know anything about what's going on in Haiti, it is awful, like truly, truly awful and truly dangerous. We had to like um, pull them out of their home and up onto a mountaintop to try to get them to safer space, but they're still driving to school each day in just like an open truck bed, um, which sounds fun if you're a kid, but when there's 20 of you and there are gangs everywhere, less fun. So we would like to buy them a van that's enclosed. So that's the first one for $20,000. Um, the second gift that we want to get behind is the box. Um, the box here at the church, this is a year-long thing that we have. Um, um, but the box is our need meeting system here at the church. So if there are needs in our community or in our church uh, that we want to rally behind, uh, then we use this benevolent system that we just call the box. And it supports medical stuff and housing and electrical bills and gas and all kinds of things. Um, but our hope is to keep doing those things through the box. But we also want to um, pour into schools via the box. So our hope is to partner with uh, family resource centers and guidance counselors at local area schools in order to give them money in, uh, in order for them to be able to like provide uh, things that are needed on the spot in their schools or whatever the guidance counselor, the principal says, says is needed. So that's the second one. And then the third one is the church building in the Dominican Republic. Um, there has been a, a lot of Haitian exile to the Dominican and we, um, our simple church ministry that happens in Haiti is growing in the Dominican. And so there's a guy in the Dominican Republic who started a house church in his home, um, which is like the size of a closet. And it has grown and grown and grown and it's busting at the seams. And so we want to provide this pastor who we love with a church. So 
those are our three needs. Um, uh, that's a $10,000 goal. So uh, we would love for you. You can give, the ways that you can give are on the front. Um, it shows you keywords and exactly how to do everything. Um, at, we said if you uh, meant to give to our move goal and then we exceeded our move goal, we were like, save your money for must-have gifts. This is what we were talking about. So uh, we'd love for you to give. And then we have a quick video and then we'll jump into the uh, sermon about one of the gifts. Hey there, my name is Amanda Armstrong and I'm the founder of the beautifully made fair trade market that's held at Vienna Coffee House every December, as well as the co-founder of the Freedom House Children's Home in Haiti. I'm excited to highlight one of this year's must-have gifts. This must-have gift focuses on a huge need that we have at the Freedom House, which is a children's home that was founded in 2014 with 26 kids in Haiti that were rescued out of lives of slavery and extreme poverty. The Freedom House has provided a safe place for these kids to grow spiritually, physically, educationally, and emotionally for nearly a decade, and we are working hard to help them reach their God-given potential. This year's must-have gifts for the Freedom House kids is a 15-passenger van to help transport them to school, doctor visits, and other places they need to go. Currently, the kids are having to ride in the back of a pickup truck. While this hasn't been a huge problem in the past, it is now completely unsuitable due to the security risks and kidnappings that are happening in the country of Haiti. This van will keep our kids safe, which is a top priority for us. The amount needed for the must-have gifts is $20,000. If you would like to help, you can go to the giving page on the church's website at vineyardchurch.us. You'll see that the giving keyword is van for this must-have gift. On behalf of the Freedom House, thank you for considering this must-have gift. If you've been around for a while, am I on? Um, you will notice that those kids are big, aren't they? They're growing. They're huge. Um, that's what they're supposed to do. So that's great. Um, also, speaking of kids, if your kids come home today and they tell you that there were crickets in their classroom and you're like, oh, that's funny, it's true. We arrived this morning. If you were like, oh, no, does this space still feel like our space? Here's how I can assure you it is. There were live crickets everywhere. We probably brought them. You know, like, I don't know. Uh, but if your kids were like, hey, I, I, I had a cricket friend, you can be like, you did. It wasn't imaginary. Um, let's uh, take a breath uh, or, and pray, and then we'll jump right in. So God, we thank you uh, for this room, a new room, um, and we praise you that you are here, that you are the God who meets us in a, an old and sometimes stinky band room, and you are the God who meets us in a new and what will probably become stinky cafeteria. You are the same God there, you, that you are here, and we praise you, and we thank you for your presence. And I'm just so grateful for these people that they um, came here also. <laughs> I love them. It's a joy to be together. It's a joy to be with you together. And so I pray in the next few minutes that you would, um, that you would wake up hope inside of us, that you would uh, speak clearly to us, um, and that we would follow you. In your name we pray. Amen. 
so uh, this morning is our first Sunday in Advent, and it feels very right to me that we would have our first Sunday in this room be the first Sunday of Advent. Um, uh, we are going to just, I'm just going to share some thoughts on hope. Um, if this is your first season with us here at Springbrook, we follow the church calendar. And so the church calendar actually begins with the first week of Advent. So this is sort of like our New Year's Day uh, celebration slash first Sunday of Advent uh, celebration. And Advent, um, as a practice in the church, is one of the church's most ancient practices. Like started, I think, in the fifth century. Like So century after century after century, churches would take four Sundays, the four Sundays lead leading up to Christmas, and um, celebrate Advent all together, um, uh, wait all together on the coming of Christ. That's, that's essentially what Advent means. The, the Greek word for Advent is parousia. It essentially means an arrival, that you're waiting on an arrival. And that's what we're doing. We're watching and waiting for the arrival of Christ. And one of the traditions that the church has had uh, is to light candles and read scriptures and to do that with eyes on four themes during Advent, hope, faith, love, and joy. And so that's how we'll spend our next four weeks, talking about hope, faith, love, and joy. And so today, uh, we'll talk about hope. Um, uh, I, I am a, if you know me, then you know I am a reader. I've, I've always, as, as soon as I could read, I loved it and I started reading. Uh, my mom says that I used to have books everywhere that I might accidentally be. So I had one like next to my bed, but also in the living room, in the car, in the bathroom. I remember being, as, my parents were like worried something was wrong with me, but I was just sitting on the ground in the bathroom reading like all the time. It was my only chance to be alone uh, in my house because I had a little brother. But anyone else just, you have books everywhere all the time time. Okay, great. One of you, Sarah Stokes only. Um, two readers, two years ago. But I like that. I like having different books going at the same time. Maybe that's ADD. I don't know. But it's like, I like having different things happening all together. Um, and this has always been true about me in basically every season of my life, except for my 30s. So sorry, Chris. Um, I don't know if anyone else experienced this, but my 30s, I just want to tell you, if you're in your 30s right now, as a very fresh person in their 40s, um, it gets better. <laughs> it gets way better. Your 30s are, are wonderful and bonkers. But when I turned 40, I started reading again. You may remember a sermon like a year ago where I was like trying to read every day for 10 minutes and, and I'm back at it. So if we, uh, I don't just like to read, I also like to talk about books. And if we've talked about books this year, most likely I have talked to you about um, um, my, my favorite book of the whole year, which is a book called Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. Has anybody read it? Yes. Oh, I wish there were more hands. I haven't talked to enough of you about this. Um, I love this book. Like, I love, love, love this book. Uh, Barbara Kingsolver wrote the Poisonwood Bible years ago, if you uh, read that back in the day. Um, and, and she wrote this book, won the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, if you're an Audible listener, the, the guy who reads on Audible is amazing. He's fantastic. So uh, it's called Demon Copperhead. It's kind of like a loose, it's loosely based on David Copperfield by Charles Dickens, um, but way better. No offense to Dickens, but you know. He's dead and we all were forced to read him and, you know. So, um, anyway, um, uh, but so this book is set in rural Virginia, like in the mountains of Virginia, in Appalachia, like what we call Appalachia. But if you are from this part of the country, like you're from the South, uh, this book in so many ways just like tells the story of our people. 
Like, I would read and know some of your stories and how you grew up and how your families interact, and this shows up in this book. It's, it's so good. Um, but his main character is a kid called Demon, so you know he has to be interesting, right? Um, and uh, he is this boy who just, like, loses, I'm not, I, won't, I won't spoil everything, but he just uh, loses everything, like, just over and over and over again. He just loses everything. It's, it's honestly an excruciating Tail, uh, they're not here today, so I can pick on them, but Justin Cook and Rodney Ferguson, I like forced both of them to read this book, and they both called me halfway through, and they were like, why? Like, why would you do this? I'm like, just hold out. It's so good. Um, one of them did. I won't say who. Um, but uh, it is this excruci- excruciating tale. Um, but to me, more than it's a story of loss, and it is a story of great loss, it is a story about hope. Um, and so I, there's this quote from this book that I think is so beautiful that I, I, I want to read to you. Uh, King Salva writes uh, with her main character's voice. So this is Demon talking, and he says this. He says, I've tried in this telling time and time again to pinpoint the moment where everything starts to fall apart. Everything meaning me. But there's also the opposite, where some little nut cracks open inside you and a tree starts to grow. Even harder to nail because that's the thing that's going to be growing for a long time before you notice. Years maybe. And then when you day, you say, huh, that little crack between my ears has turned into this whole damn tree of wonderful. You can say bowling words if you're reading a quote. Um, I, I, I love this quote. This is what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the Advent nut that cracks into a whole dang tree of wonderful. You can't use a bowling word if you're not quoting. Um, but this, this is our hope for today. So to get us started talking about that, that nut cracking, the, the whole tree of wonderful exploding, um, I want to talk a little bit about the word hope. Um, and this is stolen from the Bible Project. Uh, so, and I want to get that resource out to you because it's so good. But in the Old Testament, uh, there are two main Hebrew words that are translated as hope. Um, the first is yakal. I can't do the, it's like yakal. I can't do the gurgle. Um, but that essentially means to wait for. Um, it's, it's, it's the word that's used in the story of Noah, if you know the story of Noah's Ark. Um, when they're waiting, they go out and check every single day with the bird to see if the waters have lowered. That, that Hebrew word yakal is, is, is that word, that they're waiting. They're waiting for weeks and weeks and weeks for the waters to lower. Um, the second word uh, in the Hebrew scriptures that gets, main word that gets translated as hope is the word kava, uh, which hilariously also means to wait, um, except kava has a little bit more imagery to it uh, than uh, the first word that I can't pronounce does. Um, uh, here's what it means. The, the word kav of kava, so uh, Q-A-V means cord. And so essentially I have this tiny cord. So let's see if this, if you can see this. Um, essentially what it means is, um, is kavaz the idea of when you pull a rope like really tight like this and the tension that would be in a rope when you pull it so tight and, and something you're expecting something to happen. Like either the rope will break, right? I'm not strong enough. That's embarrassing. I can't. Um, either the, <laughs> the rope will break or you let it go. But something happens. The rope doesn't stay this tense on its own, right? So this is the imagery of kava, is just this waiting in tension. 
Uh, it, it, it's the word that Jacob uses in Genesis 49. He, he's uh, blessing his sons in Genesis 49. And he's talking about God's justice, that God's justice will come for his people who will lead the nations and that, that God's justice will come for them. And he uses this word kavah to say, but we'll wait for it like this. We will wait in the tension for God's justice to come. It will come, but it will be tense as we wait. It's the same word for hope that's used in our scripture that uh, all of the webs read for us this morning, this waiting on God, a tense, uh, expectant waiting. Um, I, I love this picture. I love the picture of this word. The English words don't quite have the imagery that uh, old Hebrew has, but I, I love it. A, a hope that waits with tension, a hope that waits with expectation. That's what we're talking about today. Um, I, I like it, I think, because it's more raw uh, than how we normally think of hope. Uh, I think in today's world, hope often gets uh, mistranslated for optimism, or we translate it in our minds when we read hope as optimism. Uh, Henry Nowen talks about this. He, he talks about the difference between optimism and hope uh, is that optimism is the expectation that things will get better. Like optimism is not bad, it's just not hope. It's, it's the expectation that things will get better, that the weather will get better, our relationships will get better, the economy will get better, an illness will get better, whatever it is. Our circumstances will improve. That is, is, is what optimism is. But hope is something very different. And in a Christian worldview, um, hope looks more like kava. It looks more like this. It looks uh, more like the tension trust in a God that he will keep his promises. That God will clean up the mess that has been made and bring renewal and rescue and put things back to right. It is tensioned waiting. And hope, hope lies there. Hope lies in the tension of a world that can sometimes seem void of God's promises or void of God's rescue or void of God's renewal. Uh, as I said, one of the themes of Advent is hope, um, and that's because this season, the season of Advent, is both a, a season of celebration uh, in the God who kept his promise by sending his son Jesus into the world, but it is also a season that honors the tension that we feel in the, the longing, in the hope and the trust that God will keep doing that. That he didn't just keep his promises once, but that he will continue uh, to keep his promises now and, and, and to come. Uh, our, our first scripture lesson today in Advent, it's a very Advent text from Isaiah 64 because it comes at a time when the people of God were longing, like desperate for him to appear and desperate for him to put things back to right. Their society was nuts. We can't relate. And, and they were longing for this. Uh, and scripture, it's, it's, it's full of patterns. Like things in scriptures happen if, if, if you read, like there's patterns around mountains, there's patterns around uh, water, there's, there's all sorts of patterns. But one of the patterns all throughout the scripture that we talk about a lot uh, is the story of God and his rescue. And in the, the stories of Isaiah that we find today where uh, people are longing for God to do what he had done before, this is the pattern that they want to continue. They're saying, like um, in the Exodus, in the Exodus, you came and you rescued your people. We want you to do what you did then. We want you to do it now, uh, today. You rescued people from oppression then. We want you to do that again today. Uh, but for them, God seemed to be hiding. And so uh, they, they were looking, uh, they, they're crying out and they're looking for what N.T. Wright calls a window to heaven. 
Uh, in those first verses that Summer read, they say, would you split open the heavens? Would you create a window into heaven so that we can see that you will do what you did before? Uh, they wanted him to tear open the, the veil between heaven and earth for the good of his people and, and for their rescue. And so in our text, we see a prayer for this. And it's not just in chapter 64, it's really chapter 60 to 66. Like the, the, the chapters before and the two that are following kind of read like this long prayer of God's people crying out to him, uh, intention longing, asking for God to fulfill his promises and dreaming about what that could look like. Oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down, how the mountains would quake in your presence. Uh, verse three, you came down long ago. You did awesome deeds beyond our highest expectations. And oh, how the mountains quaked. They're longing, they're crying out. There is tensioned waiting here, a longing for God to do what he had done before. So how does this text relate to us uh, today in our 2023 Advent waiting? Uh, N.T. Wright says that, that part of the trick of learning how to think like a Christian, to think Christianly, I think he says, or, or uh, in a Christian way, is to learn this practice of taking all of the promises of God in the Old Testament and learning how to rethink them with Jesus right in the center of them. That's, that, is, that is the way to think like a Christian, to take God's promises from long ago and to reimagine them, to rethink them with Jesus in the center of that. And so that's how we'll spend this season together. Uh, we will be rethinking the promises of God with Jesus right in the center of them. Uh, each Sunday uh, here in this room, we'll be in the book of Isaiah and we'll be doing this practice reading about God's promise and rethinking them um, it, with Jesus in the middle. As we all are together in the Lectio 365 app, this is what we'll be doing, reading scriptures from long ago, rethinking them with Jesus right in the middle of them. Uh, we'll have plenty of chances to practice this skill as, as part of our intentional waiting and our intentional watching this season. Uh, plenty of chances to look on the prayers of God's people and, and the promises of God with imagination for Jesus being the center of those promises. Uh, I, I think that practicing this skill is part of what it means to practice Advent. Uh, as we wait, we rethink. As we uh, wait in tension, we reimagine uh, with hope that God, what God has done, he will do again. What he said he would do, he will do again. Uh, I said this a little while ago, but the, the Bible is full of patterns. It's full of callbacks. Things repeat over and over and over again. Um, I learned a very fancy church word for this from my friend Joey Bruno this week called metathesis. That's what it is. It's, it's just the scriptures repeating themselves, finding patterns and rhythms over and over again. Uh, that's what we talked about today. Our scripture today is, is a perfect place, I think, to do this practice of, of reading the Old Testament uh, rhythms with a reimagined view because we have a story in the New Testament that calls back what, uh, what the webs read to us from Isaiah 64. Um, and the New Testament kind of does the work for us as we're trying to reimagine things with Jesus in the center. Uh, Mark does that. In Mark chapter one, uh, we have the story of Jesus being baptized. Um, and and he, says it, he says it like this in verses nine through 11. He says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in, Gal Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. 
And the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. What does it look like to reimagine an old promises of God? Uh, Mark is like, here, I was there. I will tell you what it was like. The heavens open. I love the imagery here. The sky is torn open. And God's presence descended on the world. What Isaiah and the people of God were praying for happens in Mark chapter 1. The sky split open and and, and God's presence falls down. Uh, God's presence invades the earth. His presence comes down, Mark tells us, like a dove. over, And then over all of it, over all that he sees, he declares love for his son and delight in his son. And a desire uh, for his people to listen to what his son has to say. I think that's incredibly important. Uh, God's promise is fulfilled. When the skies are torn and the reimagined view is not one of mountains quaking in fear uh, like the Israelites thought it might be, but shaking with love. God breaks through heaven and invades earth with a declaration of love and loyalty and delight over his son and over his people. So strong and so shaking that we are still talking about it 2,000 years later. The promise is filled. The skies are open. And what happens is not at all what the Israelites uh, imagine or the writers of Isaiah imagine. What happens is that the nearness of God doesn't shake the world with fear. The nearness of God inhabits the world in love. A theologian I love named uh, Hans Urs von Balthasar, if anyone's looking for a name change or is pregnant. Um, He says it like this, I love it. He says, once and for all, God has started out on his journey toward us and nothing will stop him from coming to us and abiding in us. What happened when the skies tore open and Jesus was right in the center of it? The presence of God came to his people, came to be with his people. A people who waited, a tensioned waiting, experience the presence of God, the God who came into the world to abide with us and the God who will come again. Uh, Optimism, as we said, is dependent on circumstances, but hope, the New Testament seems to reimagine, is not on a circumstance, but on a person. Hope exists not on a what or a where or a when, but on a who. When the skies are open, hope exists in a who, the son who was standing in the water. Jesus is the who that we hope with and the who that we hope for, who shows us what the fulfillment of the promises of God uh, look like. A vineyard uh, buddy of mine named Ted Kim says it like this. He says, the good news of of the coming kingdom is that we don't have to ask which or what, we only have to ask who. It's the who that teaches us how to be human. We go to him. We learn from him. He shows us what it means to be more holy, to be more human. He teaches us to live properly, to love well, to be wise and faithful and generous and kind. He invites us to reimagine things like prayer and promise and power. And so I want to invite you uh, on an Advent journey with us over the next few weeks 
Uh, Barbara Brown Taylor, who I think I quote every week, says that uh, Advent hope is not just an anticipatory journey, um, but a participatory journey. And so I want to invite you to, to do that, to wait together, uh, to wait together in the tension, to remember and remind each other that we don't just wait on a what, we don't just wait for circumstances to change, that we wait on a who. And that who, Jesus, is the mode by which we imagine and rethink all things. So we're going to take a minute and do that. Uh, Selah will happen over here just like it happened over there. Um, and I want to give you a few minutes um, just to maybe think about this in your own life. Here's my illustration again. Where in your own life are you feeling this? Where do you wait with tension? Here's a great place to find it. Where is there tension? <laughs> and what are you waiting on there? Um, I wonder if in these next few minutes you might uh, think about it with two things. Or do two things as you think. First, name it. You don't have to say it out loud. Um, but in your soul, name it. Name this. Where is this? And then the second thing, I wonder if you would be willing to invite the Holy Spirit to um, allow God to allow you to reimagine whatever it is. What do you wait and hope for in the tension? And will you allow God to put some rethinking into that, some reimagining into that? Um, I'm just going to pray and we'll take a few minutes and then we'll come to the table together. So God, um, what I have experienced is that in rooms filled with these particular people, your spirit tends to be here and you linger and you expose and you refresh and you renew and you restore. And so we just ask for that today. Would you help us um, have the courage to look at our life and where we experience tensioned waiting I pray that you would give us the kind of clarity and imagination that would, um, maybe bravery, that would allow us to name it. What, what is it? Maybe there are more than one thing, but, but what is it? Where's the tension? What, what is it that we're um, hoping for or waiting for? Is it a what? Is it a when? Is it a how? Is it a who? And then as we look at it, would you give us... Um, your creativity, your imagination to rethink what hope looks like in our tension. As they say in Isaiah 64, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are formed by your hand. So would you form us? And would you look at us, we pray, and see that we are your people. In your name we pray.